Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of I Like to Read with me, your host, Rachel Polanski. What day is it? It is November 14th. What is the temperature? Well, you know, 85, 90 freaking degrees. Um, fall in Los Angeles has always been a myth anyways. Seasons don't really exist. But typically around, like, late October, November, we'll start getting some pretty, like, quote-unquote colder days you know 60s maybe 70s um but not like disgustingly hot and like it's fine in the summer i love the sun it's great hot whatever but like i just want some clouds i want some rain it can even be this sunny but can it just be a little less hot also our internet has been out all day so that's fun um fortunately i thought ahead enough and was able to pull up the book information ahead of time because part of me was like, I can just go ahead and I at least have the book's names written down and be like, I can just go ahead and try to pull names and settings and information from my memory. But we know that doesn't even go well when I have that information. Let me just put the mic a little closer to me. Um, so hopefully nothing gets weird. And also, you know, I could have recorded another day. It doesn't matter. But I put on the makeup and I put on the effort and, you know, put my hair up. So... Hopefully the internet will be back soon because I want to watch my stories and I can stream some things from my phone, but even my LTE is not really good. This is all boring. I also had a really, really awesome conversation with Tom Bojor or Tom Bojo. Fuck. (laughs) I can't say his last name right. Tom B, who is a um, co-author of the book Nothing But a Good Time, the uncensored history of the 80s hard rock explosion. Learned a lot of cool, fun anecdotes about the hard rock movement and his experience with interviewing over 200 people and compiling that into a crazy oral history encompassing an entire decade. So check that out below. If you have not already, you don't need to have read the book. You maybe want to be a fan of 80s music, but even if you're not, I think you'll find some really cool journalism information and just anecdotes about some some cool famous people and things that, you know, even if you have read the book, some, some fun exclusive tidbits. And before we get into this week's five books, I want to talk about what I've been watching in our little I Like to Watch corner. The first one that we have is the show Frayed, which is on HBO Max. It is in its second season. It's an Australian show that has not gotten too much fanfare across the pond. But do they say that for Australia? I mean, technically, we are across the pond. Fantastic. It is about a family in the 80s. The mother has lost her husband and all of her finances, so she is forced to move back to Australia with her two teenage children. She left behind her sort of lower middle class life and tried in for the towny British upper class life, but when her husband and her finances go... All that comes crashing down. Then there is a sort of cataclysmic incident at the end of season one that I don't want to give away. Season two picks up right after and takes what happened in season one, pushes it to the extreme, but really keeps that like it's definitely a dramedy. I think it's, you know, while it deals with some definitely dramatic, heavier elements, they keep, you know, that light levity to it as much as they can. Maybe it's a black comedy because I think it's definitely, you know, even though there are some darker things, like I said, it's meant to have that irreverent dark comedy tone to it. Um, Really, really engrossing. There's six episodes in each season. So now that there's two seasons, there's 12 episodes. And I watched the second season all in one day because it was so good. So I recommend Frayed Season 2. For the true crime fans, I recommend Wild Crimes on Hulu. I think it is a four-part series about a woman who fell off a cliff and everyone thought it was an accident, and except her husband was there with her. And turns out that the circumstances were kind of suspicious. And, oh, his previous wife died in another accident. So this investigates the crime in a four-part 
series and the twists just keep on coming. Since it's done by Hulu and ABC, you know, it's not super dramatized. It definitely has more of that like 2020 objective factual feel to it. However, because it is a four part series, they do delve into some of the more overlying, um, you know, things within the legal system, but it's very engrossing. And that one is a case that I really hadn't heard about. And I don't think too many people are talking about. So check that one out. For a film, I have the beta test, which I, I was about to pull it up, but I can't. God damn it. I think it's written, directed and starring. I believe his name is Jim Cunningham. This is like a horror movie, but it's it's a horror movie with that biting social commentary. So again, it's much more of a there's gruesome, there's gore, there's death. There's a horrific element to it because our main character, Jim Cunningham, is like kind of just the worst person, but really wants you to like him. He is a Hollywood agent. Those people can be the worst. You know, it's like the smarmy sort of just like, I'm pretending I want to do what's best for you, but really I want to do what's best for you because I want you to do what's best for me. So it also, it deals with what happens when he goes on a, he follows the instructions of a mysterious invitation one night and cheats on his wife and the guilt and the ramifications of that reverberate into a much larger system. So it almost, it has this like black mirror sci-fi element to it with a ton of social commentary. Um, This is not his first film. I believe he has written and directed and starred in at least one other film. So definitely a very promising talent. I think it was like five or six dollars to rent on Amazon. It is in theaters as well. So if it happens to be in a theater near you, go support it. But while it's a fantastic film, I definitely think it's much more of a um, less, I mean, I want to say it's less of a visual spectacle because there are, there's some really cool camera work to it, but I do think it is one that I prefer the story and the characters and the plot development, perhaps a little bit over the cinematography, in which case I think it is acceptable to watch this one on your TV. And what have I been listening to? Well, hello, a red came out. Where have you been? I mean, the all too well 10 minute version. Do I need to even say anymore? I saw Red. I saw her in concert. I think it was summer of 2013, which is basically nine years ago. Time flies. That is the third Taylor Swift tour that I saw in Massachusetts, where I'm from. I saw the Speak Now tour was my first one. Then I saw Fearless. Then I saw Red. And then at that point, I think I was just in college. And not to say, quote unquote, over Taylor Swift. I just didn't love 1989 as much. But then Folklore and Evermore really brought me back next summer. If she does go on tour for those again, super into it. I did love the Fearless re-recording. And then Red, I think, was just... Just reminds me of that freshman year of college. I think it came out September or maybe October, probably October 13th, because y'all know Taylor Swift loves 13. It came out October 13th, 2012. And again, I was a baby freshman in college, just figuring myself out. Lord knows I still had a lot of work to do, still do, but who I was 18 is like, I'd love to say hello and talk to her because she is a different story. She is something. So it's been really beautiful beautiful. I mean, they're out, so they're Taylor's versions, re-recordings, but there's also quite a few songs that are from the vault that she previously did not record, but are re-recorded and re-released for this. So it's almost a two, it's an over two hour album. Like I said, the all too well 10 minute version, just, I mean, it's already the best Taylor Swift song and adding more just makes it even better. But we're not here to talk about Taylor Swift. Or are we? We are here to talk about this week's five books. And our first one is Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Booley. I hope I'm saying that right. I loved this book. I think it has a 4.41 rating on rating on Goodreads at the time of recording. I want to give this about four and a half. I didn't rate it five, but maybe I should have because this was, this one has everything. It has true crime. 
It has romance. It has a larger societal commentary. It has a quirky, irreverent, wonderful, easy-to-root-for heroine named Donis Fontaine. It has a slightly... It has a... We have an underground meth... You know, we have everything. So our main character, Donis Fontaine, she grows up on the Ojibwe reservation, and she is about to start college. Unfortunately, she has some unfortunate incidents happening with her family, and she has to stay closer to home. So we meet her when she's kind of at the point in her life when every, she's also a really good hockey player and she was supposed to go to college on a hockey scholarship. We meet her at a point in her life when she is stuck at home. She's just had a tragedy. She's just trying to make sense of her life and figure everything out. Her younger brother is a hockey star as well. So she sort of, you know, is entwined with that community. And through that community, she meets a young boy named Jamie. And her and Jamie's chemistry is palpable from the beginning. So, of course, we know that something's going to go on with them. And there's, of course, a will they or won't they. But it's much more complicated because Jamie and her brother are potentially involved in a drug ring. And Donis is tasked with helping them figure out those secrets. So we have all of that there. But we also have the larger element of what it means to be a Native American young woman torn between wanting to stay home and wanting to help your family and wanting to go out and make more of the world. Of course, it's no secret that drugs and alcohol are known for being very prevalent on the Native communities, but how the community deals with it, especially, I think, is done with um, with grace. And I think with, you know, it's not excusing any of the behaviors of any of the characters, but it does give fair reasoning to show how this could very likely happen. So there's a lot of, um, is a deeper novel. There's a lot of death. There is a lot of, you know, graphic drug use and descriptions. But there's also a fantastic, strong new heroine who I want to be my best friend and definitely the kind of person who I don't think I could have done half of the stuff she does and maintained myself nearly as strong as she does. So if you're into any of that, you know, I say true crime, you know, crime-centric, drug rings, strong women, exploring a different Native American tribe. I personally am not, you know, very familiar with the Ojibwe Reservation, but there's a lot of notes and cultural heritage stuff that I think is really great to be brought to the forefront for people who, myself, who are pretty ignorant to Native American culture and could always use use more. And when you, again, Donis, if you're real, be my best friend. I don't know if the film rights have been optioned for this yet. I don't know if it would be a good film just because, I mean, I'm sure it would be, but like it'd have to be done with a lot of careful um, nitpicking of making sure we get the right parts of the main characters. Speaking of strong women, in our next book is, uh, our next book is Sister Song by Lucy Holland. So I think this is based on, as this is an old British folklore ballad, which unfortunately I cannot look up at the time of this recording. Um, but this is in the ancient kingdom of Dumonia. And long legend has it that the kingdom has been connected to the land and that magic flows through the people and magic flows through the land. However, when we encounter our titular sisters from the sister song, there's three of them. Magic is faltering and the way that they connect their magic is all very different. I think all of these sisters are very different. The way that this fantasy British kingdom comes alive is really cool and beautiful because, again, I will be the first to admit I'm not always the biggest fan of fantasy just because I think sometimes the world building can either be like too much or too little and distracting from the larger message and plot. But this was a beautiful mix of myth and change. We have our y- our three young sisters, Riva, who is sort of the the... She has an accident, so she's disfigured, so she feels like her physicality has always held her back and sort of led her to be more of a quiet, meek human. There is 
Kane or Kane who never feels comfortable being in her female body. And so there's, you know, deals with the issue of transgender, but more in the issue of, again, back then there were still people, I'm sure, who, while they may not have known the name for it, felt like they were not born in the correct body and the way that it's done um, with care for the present day situation and what so many people go through in present day, but taking it back to the sort of mythological time, I think is really cool. And then the third sister, Sine or Shine, is sort of the black sleep, black sheep, black, I can't speak, black sheep, more um, meddlesome person. So all three sisters sort of know that something has to change. There's a war on the horizon. The magic is fading. The powers are fading. And all of it then, um, a young man named Tristan comes into their lives and changes things. I won't say too much more than that. There is a cool magician named Myrdin, who I'm not sure. I feel like there was, like, slight nods to the Arthurian legends just by, like, Myrdin, which was maybe, like, influenced by Merlin. But, again, I don't know too much about the original bad- ballad or song. But because it is a British folklore song, I'm sure it has, you know, somewhere around that time. So, if you're into fantasy, British folklore sister relationships and taking a break from our reality to go to a different reality, then check out Sister Song. Speaking of different realities, we have a, our next book is Within These Wicked Walls by Lauren Blackwood. And this is an Ethiopian inspired fantasy retelling of Jane Eyre. And I have to say that I have actually never read Jane Eyre, which I know is bad, but I know that there's sort of that mysterious nanny slash caretaker figure going to a Mr. Rochester, I believe, and then there's some, some stuff in that. All I know is in this book, we have our main character, Andromeda, who is known as a dead Terra, and that is a witch slash um, she purifies the house, sort of like a cleansing agent she, uh, or exorcist. That's the word I was looking for. Um, she is hired to go to the mansion of a young man named Magnus. Mag- everyone who comes under Magnus's um, tutelage or works for him pretty much seems to disappear. Something's going on. Something's weird. And instead of like evil spirits or demons specifically related to the Catholicism, they have a different interpretation where they view the devil as the evil eye. And so Andromeda is tasked with keeping the evil eye away and the evil eye manifests itself as a demonic, as a demonic, what's the word, as a, as a demonic like possession, that's the word, um, but in a different way. So it was really interesting to see that legend, you know, even though I don't, haven't read Jane Eyre, I know bits and pieces, and it was interesting to see all these Ethiopian retellings of it, because I personally am not that familiar with Ethiopian culture beyond watching 90 Day Fiance. So, there's a lot of, you know, that, that what is evil, you know, does it come from within? Can it be cleansed? What is demonic? There is a little bit of some, you know, if you know Jane Eyre, you know, there's a love element to it. So, there's a little bit of something, something, you know, will they, won't they with Magnus and Andromeda, but it's really more about Andromeda finding herself as well. Um, So if you're into fantasy, but with a little more um, grounded in reality, not in the sense that, you know, there's just as much mysticism in this as Sister Song, but it does take place in a more modern day world. And the fantastical element is more supernatural while our characters are more grounded in a quote unquote everyday situation. But back to quote unquote reality as well. We are, our next book that we're talking about is The Family by Naomi Naomi Kropitsky. So we trace the lives of two young women who we meet first as young girls, and the titular family is the mafia family, specifically the Italian mafia, and they grow up in 20th century Brooklyn. So our two best friends are Sophia. Sophia is the daughter of the main mafia boss. 
she's headstrong, she's feisty, she's, you know, everything that a little mafia boss's daughter would be. And then her best friend is Antonia, who is a little bit more soft-spoken, a little bit more reserved and quiet, and her father is one of Sophia's father's henchmen. So they quickly grow up loving each other, but understanding that the family and the mafia overshines and oversees everything in their lives. Until one day, um, Antonia's father is killed. That's not a huge spoiler because that happens very quickly in the beginning of the novel. I think it might even, it doesn't say, it doesn't say that. So that was a slight spoiler, but it, you know, it doesn't give too much away because it's really what happens with the ramifications of that death and how it's, you know, we follow their lives up until they are grown women. They have children, they fall in and out of love with different people. I really enjoyed getting to see their perspectives of their different partners as well, because I think each of the men was also very different and well-suited to each of the women, but suited in different ways. I think that the novel deals a lot with what it means, like, you know, to be honest and loyal to your family, whether that is a more sinister business like the Italian mafia, which literally involves lots of death and gruesome subjects, or it might even be a family with a religion or something else that you're not comfortable with and wanting a different life and wanting what's best for you, but feeling these tethers and these ties that are impossible to break. And then, you know, there's that meaning of it. It's also, you know, blood is thicker. And then water and what it means to have your chosen family, too, because while Antonia is not biologically Sophia's sister, the bonds and the things that they have gone through cement them in ways that are probably closer than many other biological sisters. So I found this one really engrossing. It was also, you know, really the historical backdrop of the Great Depression and beyond in Brooklyn um, in this Italian area. The way it came to life was really vibrant and came off the page in a really enlightening way. And last but not least, certainly not, certainly not least, we have All Her Little Secrets by Wanda M. Morris. So Elise Little John is, she's on top of the world. She is about, she's potentially about to get a promotion. She works for a prominent, uh, she's a corporate attorney. I I kept thinking it was a law firm, but she just works for the legal department of this larger transportation company. I did find like little bits of business slightly confusing, but I don't think it overshadows the main story. It starts off when all of a sudden, She's going in to meet her boss, and he's found dead. And this is problematic in many ways, but not only because Michael, her boss, is white and Elise is black. However, that doesn't seem to really be a big issue because it's quickly ruled that it's suicide, and lo and behold, Elise is promoted to his position as head of corporate attorney. So everything seems great, but the more that Elise starts to unpack the folds, there's definitely a lot of deception. There's, you know, was it a suicide? Hint, hint, it was not, but I don't want to give too much more away. There's a lot of, you know, there's corruption within the company. Elise also has an interesting backstory and a reason that makes her even more susceptible to betrayal and to be more on her toes. So her her backstory and her secrets are popping up especially once her brother gets involved with her company and sort of mends her present and past life. There's definitely elements of get out in this in terms of the way that race is explored and the way that black people specifically are, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, you know, hired in certain instances just to be figureheads and the way that they are used as token figures is explored a lot in this novel. So there's the mystery element to it. There's the larger racial and sociological explorations, which I always find interesting in a mystery novel. Elise is a badass woman. Again, I feel like her and Donis, great bookends to this episode because both of these are badass women that I want to be my best friends. Elise is definitely a little bit older and she's a lawyer, so she has that experience, but that doesn't discount her from Donis because Donis is dope too. So if 
you're into thrillers, if you're into fast paced, more legal and systemic based versus a more like fantasy supernatural type thing, then check this one out. Um, definitely more of a large, and also, you know, it takes place in Atlanta. So the city of Buckhead really, or the surrounding areas of Buckhead and Atlanta and those suburbs really come alive too and come off the page. So lots of cool immersive settings in these books as well. It's really hot. Like I said, it's 90 degrees. So I think that's enough for today, right? Um, as always, let me know what you're reading. Follow me on Goodreads. Excuse me, link down below. Follow me on all my social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Like me and subscribe on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. And until next time, stay reading. Bye. Bye.